Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn back to Acts chapter 19 and uh, to those verses that Alyssa read for us just a little bit ago? I- I've told you this before. One of my favorite things about being a pastor as far as different job roles or responsibilities is uh, sermon preparation. That usually begins uh, at least a week prior when I'm able to read through the next section that we've been going through here in the book of Acts. And uh, I, maybe I take a look at any differences that might be in the original language, also uh, consulting trustworthy commentaries from people much more learned than I, but it's always a beautiful time spent with the Lord. Uh, but when I came to this next passage uh, this week and uh, started reading some of the commentaries, I did get a little worried <laughs> because a few of them referred to these seven verses as some of the most difficult in the New Testament to deal with. I'm not sure that's the case, uh, but what's debated here in these seven verses is whether or not these 12 certain disciples here, whether or not they were Christians prior to Paul's interactions with them in this passage. There's solid theologians that I look up to, and even they differ on the answer. Um, As we go through this, uh, this might make more sense, but I believe the answer is both no and, and yes. And if that doesn't make sense, I hope it will by the time we're done here this morning. Uh, One thing that we have to keep in mind as we go through the book of Acts, this is a book uh, that describes a major transition period in the Bible. Uh, Really, what we have here is a start of an entirely new dispensation, how God deals with his people. Uh, We call it the age of grace or the church age. Uh, This is a record of God creating and building the church of Jesus Christ here in this book at this time. Before we look at it verse by verse, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father, um, we come right now asking your Holy Spirit, who is present, indwelling every single person here who has trusted in Jesus as Savior. We need him this morning. We need his uh, ministry of illumination. That is one of the things you promised that he would do, that he would take your word and make it understand understandable to us because you want us to know what you say in it. So God, I pray that would happen here this morning. Um, Also, he has a ministry of conviction and a ministry of encouragement. And so if there's something that needs to change in our lives based on these verses you've given to us, I pray that we would not only understand it, but we would respond to your word. Uh, We welcome the Holy Spirit here, his presence and his ministry among us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 to 2, we have Paul returning to Ephesus, and he finds a group of 12 people uh, who have a spirit deficit. 
uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, it shifts the narrative from Apollos and his ministry in Corinth here to Paul and the church of Ephesus. Paul is now on his third missionary journey, and he returns to this city, Ephesus, where he had left Aquila and Priscilla to disciple the new Christians here. Paul has kept his promise back in chapter 18 in verses 19 to 21. Paul had made a brief stop here in Ephesus on the second mission trip. He had brought many people to a saving faith in Jesus. If you remember that scripture, uh, they wanted him to stay. They said, Paul, please stay and continue to teach us. But Paul was determined to go back to Jerusalem and to his home church in Antioch and report what God had been doing. But he promised them. He said that I will return if God wills. And now he is here. So God has willed. One thing we do need to keep in mind, too, is when we talk about the church in Ephesus, uh, even in the book of Ephesians that's written to that church, we might be talking about, we probably are talking about more than one church. Ephesus is a huge city. It's a major metropolitan center, uh, the capital of the Roman province of Asia. So it's likely that there was a number of churches there. People didn't have cars like you and I have. We have some people who travel 30 minutes. Praise the Lord. I love that. Um, sometimes even more than that to, to worship with us. That was a, a capability back then. And so there was probably more than one one church here at Ephesus. And that helps us understand the rest of this section of Scripture because in verse 2, it tells us that Paul found here certain disciples. So it's not everybody in what we consider the church of Ephesus. These are certain disciples. I don't believe they were part of the church of Ephesus where Aquila and Priscilla had been teaching. I don't believe that because we're going to find out that they are still in need. These 12 fellows are still in need of a lot of basic teaching about Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm not sure that any of them had even heard about Christ or knew about Christ, at least by name. And here in verse 2 is where the dilemma comes into play and where the debate about whether or not these 12 certain disciples were at this point saved, born again, disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul's interactions with this group, um, there must have been something when he interacted with these 12 certain disciples that moved him to ask this question that we find in verse 2. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Something must have caused Paul to notice a spirit deficit among them. Those who believe that these individuals were saved, they, um, they argue that, well, God has, Luke referred to them in verse 1 as disciples. That is almost always, in the book of Acts, a description of, of Christians, of born-again saved believers, almost always. Always, almost always. Uh, Paul also refers to them as those who have believed in verse 3. Well, that sure sounds like references to Christians, doesn't it? Uh, but it's their answer to Paul's question in verse 2, and it's in what happens in the rest of this passage that causes some problems for those who consider this group of certain disciples as already being born again, saved Jesus followers. What is their response to Paul's question? Paul says, um, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they say, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now that alone is not enough for me to call these certain disciples unbelievers. I want you to think for a moment. Um, I don't know that the thief on the cross uh, who turned to Jesus in his final breaths had ever heard of the third person of the Trinity. And we don't have that record. I don't know that he had an extensive doctrinal knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Yet we know he was saved, right? Because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and he 
uh, was told by Jesus today, you will be with me in paradise. Still, the gospel message here in the book of Acts throughout the New Testament, it mentions the gift of the Holy Spirit. That at the very moment that we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ comes to permanently uh, indwell us. God has Paul referred to it as our sealing. We're sealed forever. Uh, as our down payment that guarantees that we are Christ forever and we have been given eternal life. Uh, we have that precious truth in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, in him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, after you heard the gospel, in whom, having believed, you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So when are we given the Holy Spirit? When are we sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, our, our guarantee of everything that Christ offers us? When we believe. Right then. <laughs> right there. And God tells us that uh, every Christian who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them in Romans 8 9, he says this, speaking to Christians, God has Paul write this, Romans 8 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Did you get that? There's no Christian who is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, there might be Christians who are, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, but are not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a possibility. But there's no such thing as a born-again Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit, who's not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that caused you to be born again. You did not born yourself again. The Holy Spirit moved you to respond to the gospel. He did. And from that moment, he indwelt you, and he sealed you, and he wants to fill you. You can be saved, you can be born again, you could be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and not know a whole lot about all of that, but you will know something of the Holy Spirit's effect in you and on you. You're a new creation, right? You're a new creation, you'll know something. Let me try to wrap this up because we need to move on to where we have further evidence that these certain disciples here in Ephesus, it might have been believers, just not born again believers. They might have been saved but not be Christians, at least in the New Testament church sense of the word. We're going to learn that these 12 certain disciples, just like Apollos back in chapter 18, they were disciples of John the Baptist. At this point, they had only known of his message and his form of baptism. They had put their faith, just like all of the Old Testament saints, all of them, you, you pick one that's listed in Hebrews 11. They had put their faith uh, in uh, the coming Messiah that God had promised. But like Apollos, they might not have yet heard that he came and he died and he had risen again. They might not yet have heard about Jesus and put their faith in him by name, Jesus. Let's look at a symbolic declaration. That's what we see in verses 3 to 5. It's Christian believers' baptism. That's what the symbolic declaration is. We celebrated it uh, last week here, praise the Lord, for, for those three that were baptized. And we studied about what God said about Christian baptism, believers' baptism, how it's to be done. After hearing their response to Paul's first question here, he asked them another question in verse 3. Unto what then were you baptized? And their response is, unto John's baptism. We need to understand, John the Baptist did not start Christianity. He did not start the Baptist denomination. He did use the same mode of baptism that we do, 
He, you know, he immersed people. Um, but his baptism had a very different purpose. Uh, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. That's what Paul says next in verse 4. Our baptism, what we did here last week and what we do here, is a symbolic declaration. It's an identification with Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, his baptism wasn't. Christ had not yet died. He had not yet been buried. He had not yet risen from the grave, what we uh, identify with when we baptize here. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a symbol of those people having already repented of their sins and turning to faith, readying themselves for a coming Messiah. Uh, John the Baptist preached. He said the Messiah is coming. The Messiah even said the Messiah is here. He's speaking of Jesus, of course. But Jesus hadn't even started his ministry yet when John was doing all of that. Christian baptism, believer's baptism, that is not a readying for a coming Messiah, it's a symbolic identification of us with the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has come. It's an identification of our union with him, uh, our union with Jesus. Our baptism is a symbolic declaration of something that has already happened in our life when we trusted in Jesus as Savior. Now, these certain disciples at this point, they had only been baptized the John the Baptist way, maybe by him. They could have gone down to Israel and heard John the Baptist preached and been baptized by John the Baptist and then made their way here to Ephesus. That's a, a possibility, maybe like Apollos. Um, that was their story, and they um, now came to live in Ephesus, never having heard the name Jesus, knowing that John preached in a coming Messiah, but not knowing that he came and he died and he rose again. Or it's entirely possible that these certain disciples here had become Disciples of John the Baptist during the ministry of Apollos here in Ephesus. Uh, back in chapter 18, it, it was Priscilla and Aquila who heard him preaching all about John the Baptist and, and that a Messiah had come. And Aquila and Priscilla said, after he was done, come here, buddy. We've got a lot more to tell you. It's really good news. The one you're preaching about has come. And uh, we, we looked at that in chapter 18. Um, but now, faith in him, faith in Jesus the one who has come, the one who has died, the one who has uh, sacrificed himself for our sins and has risen again. Faith in him is now required for salvation now that the work of Christ had been finished. It is finished, right? Isn't that what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. And we need to understand that in this time of transition and God's revelation of his plan of salvation, um, in the Old Testament, even during Jesus' ministry, there was nobody saved by works. Nobody was saved by keeping the Old Testament law. They weren't saved by offering those sacrifices over and over again. They were saved the same way that we are saved now, by grace, uh, through faith. For them, in a coming Messiah. They might not even know his name. They didn't. But they believed what God had said. And they were saved the same way we are. For us, we are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has come. And he has finished his saving work. These certain disciples, just like Apollos back in chapter 18, they did not have the full picture yet. They hadn't been told the whole story. They didn't have what you and I have right now. And that's why I have so far referred to them as believers, because they were in a coming Messiah. They were just not born again believers. They had a spirit deficit. Uh, they were saved, just like the Old Testament people were saved, but they were not saved as Christians yet. 
In this time of transition, these certain disciples, they needed to know the whole story. Because the work of Christ had been finished, they needed to place their faith in Jesus Christ in order to be born again, in order to be saved now. And that is why Paul is so passionately pleading with them here in this passage. I want you to look at what happens in verse 5. After Paul tells them about who Jesus is and what he's done for them, it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They received Christian believers' baptism as a symbol of their receiving Jesus as Savior by faith. And they were saved. And then right there, they were baptized to identify with Jesus Christ to make a public profession of their saving faith in the Messiah, who they now knew a whole lot more about. Praise the Lord. They're doing what they were supposed to do. I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but if you have not been baptized, you need to be, Jesus follower. You need to be. If you have received Christ as Savior by faith, the Word of God commands you to identify with Jesus in Christian believers' baptism. It's a symbolic declaration in the Christian's life. Now, things get a little unusual here in verses 6 and 7. Not so much unusual for the book of Acts. It's full of unusual stuff, but unusual for how the Holy Spirit is typically given. Here it's a special dispensing. Verse 6 says that when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. That's unusual. Why? Because that's only happened one time before in the book of Acts. When Peter and John did it for the Samaritan people who had believed and received in Jesus as their Savior by faith. We already mentioned this. Typically, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, right? The very moment that we trust in Jesus as Savior. That's how it happens in the rest of the book of Acts. That's how it's happened ever since God's word has been completed. And, and it's how it happens here even in our day. Um, that's what we learned in those verses we mentioned earlier in Ephesians and in Romans. The very moment that you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of Christ comes to indwell you. He comes to seal you as belonging to Jesus forever. And he desires to fill you and to empower you for service to Christ. But in two different instances... Here in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came through the laying on of hands of the apostles. It was a special dispensing. Back in chapter 8, that's where Peter and John were used by God to, um, to give the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans. God had a purpose in doing it different back then. The gospel had finally left Jerusalem in the here, there, and everywhere. It was going to people who were not ethnically Jewish. And God wanted to connect these ethnically Jewish Christians like Peter and John to these ethnically non-Jewish Christians. He wanted to break down, like vividly, in picture, right before their eyes, break down the wall of separation that Jesus broke down when that temple veil was torn in two. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That was God's purpose in it back then. That might be the purpose here, too. I don't know. It might be a connection for these prior disciples of John the Baptist. Now they're connected to the church of Jesus Christ through Paul's ministry. I don't know. But there are two instances of special dispensing outside of how God says that it typically happens. We are not told how much time elapsed between their receiving Jesus as Savior by faith in the beginning of verse 5 and they're being baptized at the end of verse 5 and this receiving and dwelling filling of the Holy Spirit in verse 6 I would say if it wasn't concurrent like all at the same time it happened within minutes of each other 
And in the book of Acts, often the gift of the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit, it was evidenced by gifts of the Holy Spirit that were used at that time before they had the entire word of God completed. That sure happened here. In any case, these certain disciples, 12 of them in number, according to verse 7, these guys had experienced a transforming transition, hadn't they? New life in Jesus Christ. Have you? I mean, maybe, maybe there's someone here and you've heard some of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Well, today, even briefly, you've heard the whole story. Have you ever trusted in who Jesus is, what he's done for you for salvation and prayer? Have you ever confessed your sins to God and told him that from here on out you're trusting in the person and work of Christ, what he's done to save you and to give you eternal life? If you haven't, do what these 12 men here did. Don't wait, even as I'm talking right now. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Be born again. Receive new life in Christ right now, this morning. Receive the Holy Spirit to help you live for Jesus the rest of your life. Do that today. Don't wait. Now let me speak to you who have done that. There's a sad thing among Christians today. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit but there are times when we live as, we, as if we don't. And we don't live by his leading. And what a waste. What a waste to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. To be able to, be able to live filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But for all practical purposes, have a spirit deficit. A lot like these guys had as a Christian. Um, if someone were to, just like Paul did here at the beginning of this passage, if they were to look at your life, would they see evidence of the Holy Spirit's work? Or would they wonder if he was absent from your life, if, if there was a spirit deficit in, in how you think and, and how you talk and the things that you do? Are, are those things giving no evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life or his power in your life. These 12 certain disciples here, they sensed their need to get right with God through faith in the Messiah that God had promised, but they had gone no further than that. And God uses Paul here to help them go deeper, to help them go all in for Jesus. Is that you? Do you need that? Do you want that this morning? Are you living under the divine influence of the Holy Spirit who indwells you, Christian? Could you honestly say that I'm living filled with a power that the Holy Spirit offers and holds out to me? And I'm afraid that there's many Christians who know some of the saving effect, the work of the Holy Spirit, but they don't know a whole lot about the sanctifying influence that he desires to have in our lives and, and through our lives. Who, who wants that this morning? God tells us this in 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. There's liberty. There's freedom. We've been freed from the penalty of sins. We're no longer on our way to hell. We have a home in heaven, guaranteed, insured for us. We're free, but we're not just free from the penalty of our sins. We've been freed from the power of sin over our lives where the Spirit of the Lord is. Ask Tommy to come at this time and lead us in the time to respond. Corinne, if you'll come too. Will you all pray with me? Let's bow. Father, um, actually, Holy Spirit, we direct our prayers to you right now. And uh, here's our prayer. Move on us. Move in us this morning. And in this congregation, 
May our hearts desire your indwelling and your filling. May we leave here this morning in, in true Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit liberty because we will say yes to your word. We don't want to experience any Holy Spirit deficits. Like these men here, we want a transforming transition this morning. Yielding to you now, we will respond to your word. Do that here at Dublin First Baptist in Jesus' name. Amen.